0: Well, good morning. Thanks for being here. Um, we're going to be in week two this week of what makes you happy. And if you weren't here last week, we're just going to do uh, a, a quick summary. And if you, uh, you, you weren't here or, or you haven't had a chance to listen yet, I think you should still do that. But we will do a quick review uh, now just to bring us all up to speed. So uh, for those of you who were here, try to think back. All right. Um, I want you to think back and really hard because I don't want to feel like a total failure. Right. I told you I wanted you to remember something. And so here's the question. What makes you happy? Now, is there anyone out there who can remember last week's answer? Anybody? What makes you happy? No thing. Right? Say it again. What makes you happy? No thing. No thing makes you happy. No thing makes you happy because happiness is about a who more than a what. And happiness always involves a who or two. Now, if you grew up around church like I did, Maybe, maybe you heard different messages. Maybe you heard something like this one. God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. Have you ever heard anything like that? Is it just me? Something similar to that? I, I heard this in the background for years, and I'm not sure exactly who I heard it from or where it was that I heard it, but I, but I feel like I heard it a, a bunch. And there has been a movement in Christianity that has really sought to remove the joie de vivre. Um, instead of delighting in the pursuit of Jesus, they had sour, sad faces. And, and, and they tried to ensure that you did too. And happy people must be doing something wrong, so we should stop happy people from being happy. Happy. And, and I don't know exactly where it was again, but I feel like I grew up hearing that, that God doesn't want you to be happy, God wants you to be holy, as if that that false dichotomy is self-evident between happy and between holy. So w- when I was a kid, maybe you were a kid, maybe, maybe you started to wonder if Jesus had a favorite song. And if he did, if it was, if you're happy and you know it, repent, if you're happy and you know it, stop it, thou shalt not be happy. Um... That was part of my understanding. And maybe that's why you dropped out of church. Or maybe that's why you, you have a lingering distaste for church and for Christians. And, and, and maybe th- this is uh, a key belief or that uh, led you on the path away from Christianity. It seemed like all the happy people weren't in the church. So let me tell you right now, that's a false dichotomy. That is not the way of Jesus. That is not the way of the Holy Spirit. That is not the way of into one community church. We are all about the delight and the display of a Jesus-pursuing life, Jesus' followers. And Jesus says that he knows more about happiness than anyone else. And those of us who believe that Jesus is king, well, we believe that that must be true. And because God created you, you know this about yourself, that you have a capacity for happiness. You have a capacity for joy. And why would God create such a capacity in you that extraordinary capacity, if He did not want you to fulfill it through Him. So today, uh, as we move along in this series, we're going to look at the words of Jesus from a really, really uh, famous sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And inside the Sermon on the Mount, there's another well-known passage of Scripture that we're going to look at called the Beatitudes. They all start with B. They all start with the word blessed. Or if you want to make it a little bit more churchy, you can call it blessed. Blessed blessed said, it's even more powerful. So in this message, Jesus is really answering the question, what makes you happy? The term, or the, the, the word blessed, if you take it from Greek, is the word makarios. And makarios can be translated as fortunate or happy. So this message that Jesus is giving, this is what happy people do. This is how happy people behave. Do you want to be happy? This is what you should do. This is how you should think. He gives a description of happy people. And I bet that in all the times you've heard about it, you never thought of it in that way. So here's the challenge for the message today, okay? Um, You're going to need to remember this for the end. As we go, I need you to listen for a common denominator. What do all of these things have in common? Figuring out that leads us to an amazing insight into happiness. And it might just be key... For you, becoming happy. Jesus leads us there. Even if you're not a Jesus follower, even if you're not a Christian, these words are so extremely rich in wisdom. You have tried so many other paths to happiness that have failed. We all have. Listen to Jesus. Follow him and his wisdom and see if it leads you to somewhere better. All you have to lose is your unhappiness. On to the Sermon on the Mount. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, and he sat down, and his disciples, when we're in the New Testament, there are really three groups of people that are being referred to, and sometimes we use language that kind of overlaps them, and it's a little confusing. So, there are the apostles, the 12 apostles, and then there are the disciples. The disciples are the people who believed in Jesus, followed Jesus, traveled with Jesus, and then there's the crowd. The crowd is hundreds of people, sometimes thousands of people who follow Jesus. So those three are all around and they're all in this part of the story. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. This is the most famous sermon Jesus ever preached. We know that he repeated this content more than once. What did he choose to preach his most famous sermon about? Happiness. Happiness. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right off the top, right out of the chute, right at the get-go, Jesus addresses one of the biggest myths as it relates to happiness. And essentially it's this, that rich people are happy people. Or that poor people are happy people. Both extremes have been promoted as the right way to go. But Jesus said that the happy people are the ones who are poor in spirit. And here's what he meant, to be poor in spirit is to acknowledge that no matter how much you have or how little you have, you are completely dependent on God every single minute of every single day, poor in spirit. People who embrace their daily dependence on God, regardless of what they have. They wake up every day and they say, God, I am no less dependent on you today, right now, than I was when I woke up and I had absolutely nothing. The poor in spirit live aware of their daily dependence on God. And some of you have learned this the hard way. Some of you are on the edge of learning this the hard way. The moment that you put your trust in riches, instead of him who richly provides, you are unhappy. The moment you transfer your trust from your heavenly father to your riches, and by riches it can mean um, the opportunities that you have, your education, what you have, what you own, what you board for, where you live, what you drive, all the things that we can use sometimes and we can be tempted to use to build up our self-esteem. The moment we transfer our trust from him who provides to the things themselves, we become unhappy. And here's why. Because suddenly, it's up to you to control the outcome. And you can't control outcome. And you you can influence outcome, but none of us can control outcome. And the moment I place my trust in riches instead of him who richly provides, I suddenly take upon myself a responsibility. You take upon yourself a responsibility that is too big for you to carry. And this is why you have met unhappy poor people, and unhappy middle-class people, and unhappy rich people. Anyone who is feeling the burden that it's all up to me is by definition unhappy. Jesus says, let me me tell you who the happy people are. They are the rich, they are the the, the middle-class ones, they are the ones who are poor, They are people who are poor in spirit, who recognize I'm as dependent on God for my provision as I have ever been. Because here's the thing, the poor do not attempt to find ultimate satisfaction in things because things are not an option. Your your heavenly Father has invited you and and he's invited me to live in the same understanding that at the, the end of the day, my confidence is not in my stuff My confidence is in the one who provides the stuff. It was no accident when the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, teach us to pray, that Jesus included this core value in what we call the Lord's Prayer, but we should probably call it the disciples' prayer because that's who he was giving it to. And Jesus taught them to pray daily for their daily bread, for their daily provision, for their daily care. They were given a discipline, And a path to freedom in the regular recognition that God sustains all things by His grace. He is the sustainer of all things. And I've got some money in the bank and I've got a good job and I've got a network of family and friends who care about me. But every single day, I try to be in the habit to declare certain things. And one of my declarations that I like to make out loud is that God, I declare before you again my absolute dependence on you for all that I need. Without you... The rest might vaporize, but I'll still be okay. I've lived with little, and I've lived with much more. And I don't ever want to transfer my trust, slowly or quickly, transfer that trust over my ability, over to my ability to make money, to save money, or to manage money. And and Jesus says, you want to be happy? The happy people are those who are poor in spirit. They recognize at the end of the day, they are completely dependent Upon their Father in heaven. Then he goes on from there. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Do you know who mourns? Mourners are people who are emotionally connected, people who recognize, who don't hide from, who don't run from the fact that there are bad things in the world, there are unjust things in the world, there's a randomness in the world, and they are willing to walk into those moments of death and sorrow and grief, and they are willing to stay there and and to face it full on and to embrace the fact that death is actually a part of life. And in our culture, uh, it becomes more and more unusual. Why? Because death has become more and more sanitized. And, And for most of us, all of us have had that experience where, where someone we knew um, has died. And, and, we, and we know, well, we need to go to the funeral, right? But, you know, what time does it start? And I wonder how long it's going to last. And okay, I'll go. And, but I need to sit at the back. I got to sit at the back. I need to be able to get out of there ASAP. I need to be there, but I need to leave. I got to get back to my world. I need to be seen while I'm there, but I got to leave so that I can shake all of that back off. And I'll probably get a drink as, as I leave before I go back because I can't have that lingering in my mind. I don't want to be thinking about death because where you focus is where you go, right? Well, I need to focus on my life. And Jesus said, if that is your attitude to death and to hardship, you will never be happy. And here's your quick pastoral observation over 20 years of pastoral ministry. The fear of dying will rob you of the joy of living. Fear of death will rob you of the joy of life for for the person who is not willing to fully embrace the reality that all of our lives are bookended. They spend so much time, so much energy, so much money trying to avoid and trying to not think about the inevitable. Ultimately, it robs you of your happiness. And Jesus says, let let me help you with this. Blessed or happy are those who when they are faced with the fact that this life comes to an end, who are willing to face it, feel it, endure it, and to be a part of it. Jesus says you will find contentment and happiness there. Far more than if you spend your life trying to pretend that it is never going to happen to you. He goes on. Verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Our response to the word meek is almost entirely negative because nobody writes on their list of, when I grow up, I want to be meek. And, And no father ever looked at their daughter and said, honey, I really hope That you find someday some man who will be meek. And here's why. We've been trained to think of meekness as weakness. But Jesus understood um, meekness as a powerful, powerful thing. And here's what meekness is. It's a proper estimation or uh, evaluation of oneself within the broader context of God's creation and love. A meek person faces the reality about who they are. They are part of God's creation. And God is up to something in the world, and they are a part of it. But they are not the center of it. We work in partnership with God all the time. Meek people understand that. It's not about me. It's about Him. Meek meek people aren't constantly fighting for more friends and more followers and more fans and more about me. They are not all about trying to be the center of attention. I'm willing to accept the place where God has placed me. Meekness is not weakness. Then he goes on. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who are committed to doing the right thing. Blessed, remember, can also be translated happy. And this is kind of a throwback to last week. So if you can remember last week, happier those who, um, with no guilt, with no regret, those who have a clear conscience, happier those who are committed to doing the right thing even when it costs them. Happier are those who recognize, as we said last week, that sin separates and that sin substitutes and that sin breaks down my relationship with myself and sin breaks down my relationship with other people and sin breaks down my relationship with God. And at the end of the day, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are those who are learning to ask tough questions. They wrestle with it. What is the right thing to do? How do I go forward? People who do that, can be happy. But isn't it true? Okay, think about this. When you think about the, 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 uh, the people in your life or the season in your life or maybe the season you're in right now, um, that, do, that doing the wrong thing did not create happiness. And isn't it true that your greatest regret wasn't when you did the right thing, it's when you did the wrong thing. And isn't it true that your greatest regret was that time when you knew the difference between right and wrong and you decided to do the wrong thing. And now you wish you could go back and you wish you could redo it. Do you think that there's anyone here today or anyone listening later on that is thinking to themselves, oh, I wish I could go back to high school. This time I'd like to get in more trouble. Like, I got my freshman year. I'm going to go back and do my freshman year at college. I'd really love to do it again so that I could focus on getting into more trouble. Isn't it true that our greatest regrets stem from the fact that we knew the difference between right and wrong, and we chose what was wrong? And when we hear Jesus here, I think he's saying, I, I know this might not be popular. I know this might sort of sound all religious, But happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And then he goes on. He knows us so well. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. But what's mercy? Hear it like this. Happy are the relationally generous. Happy are those who give people exactly what they don't deserve, relationally. Happier are those who aren't seeking revenge. Happier are those who forgive. Happier are those who don't hold grudges. Happier are those who put away bitterness. Happier are those who are not waiting to be paid back from someone in their past. Because you, you, you know this. You have never met a happy Bitter person. You, you you have never met a happy person who is holding a grudge. You've never met a happy person who was waiting for someone to pay them back in some way for a previous relationship. But you have met people who have been mistreated. You have met people who have gone through circumstances that you wouldn't wish on your enemies, and somehow they have emerged on the other side and they are fine. They are happy. And when you scratch beneath the surface, you find that these are men and women who understand what it means to be relationally generous. They decided to extend to their father exactly what their father didn't deserve. And they decided to extend to that boss exactly what that boss didn't deserve and and they decided to extend to that ex-wife exactly what that ex-wife didn't deserve they were relationally generous and even though they were never paid back even though they never extracted revenge and even though they never got an apology even though they never even got the person who offended them to ever own up to what they did somehow those people are still happy And Jesus says, I understand. Happy, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Doesn't that sound desirable? Wouldn't you like that freedom? How is it that that it's so easy to forget this for ourselves? The wisdom, Jesus just keeps thinking, okay? And I don't think this one gets enough attention. It's a little bit sensitive, frankly. But would you like to see God clearly? Where God is at work in the world, would you like to be able to recognize God's plan for your life? Would you like to recognize what God wants you to do in tough circumstances? Whether that, that's a relational circumstance or or a money relationship or a career kind of thing, would you like to see clearly? Would you like to look at circumstances or or invitations or opportunities and see what leads to trouble? Would you like to see enough that you could avoid regret in your future? To which all of us, I think, would say, yes. So Jesus leans into the audience and he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And this is one of the most profound things about uh, the whole New Testament. And perhaps it hits me a little deeper because of my experience as a pastor. Because because I have talked to so many people who say this to some extent, people who look back at their past and look back on previous relationships and they look back at seasons of their life and they say, Graham, I just don't know how I allowed myself to get into that. Why didn't I see that coming? How could I have been so blind? How could I have been so naive? Why, Why didn't I have the clarity to get out, to say no, to walk away, to just stay away. What was going on? And Jesus addressed this. Jesus has invited us into purity um, in in a culture that doesn't even use the word, except when they refer to water. But other than water, the idea of purity or, or moral purity is so not in vogue. It's not even a valid Option. It's not seen as an essential Christian value or virtue. I just want you to know that the clarity you need in life is found in purity, moral purity, ethical purity, and the decision to purify your mind, to look above and beyond, eyes up. Jesus would teach us um, if you want to have clarity uh, uh, in life, if you if you want to have clarity about sin, then stay away from it. Purity leads to clarity. He said, blessed are the pure in heart for they have the greatest chance of identifying and seeing the activity of God. For some of you right now, that's that's a real issue. And you're trying to make a decision relationally, morally, ethically. And there's something in you that argues. It says, I'm missing out. But But I'm missing out. But the promise to you from Jesus is that you If you will purify your mind and if you will renew your mind and if you will think my thoughts, if you will tell yourself the truth, the day will come when you realize that you weren't missing out and you will have the clarity to see that following me leads to happiness. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. In our culture, this is difficult. This is debated. This is derided. This is denoted as weird. This is deemed out of touch with reality. And which reality is that? We come back to the question we've asked it many times before. Would you like to be normal and live with what is normal in this world? Or would you like to be weird? Just consider what is normal in our culture. Weird is a different view on what is possible. It was true that when Jesus taught uh, then, it's true for today, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart for who else would want to see God? Who else wants to meet up with God if they are not pure in heart? Next, Jesus goes on. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Why? Because your heavenly Father wants to be at peace with you. And when you live at peace or you make peace with other people, you are acting like behaving like your Father in heaven. You are being a minister of reconciliation. Do you know any happy troublemakers? That person who's who's stirring it up at the office or stirring it up in school, do you consider them to be happy people? Do you know anyone who causes trouble out of an overflow of their happiness? Of course not because troublemakers are troubled by other people's happiness. Troublemakers like to target happy people. Troublemakers want everybody to be unhappy. Happy are the reconcilers. Happy are the people who walk into, they're willing to walk into those relationships that are broken or that are breaking, and they want to be making peace. It's just the way that things work work and it doesn't matter whether you like the idea of people making peace like that it doesn't matter if you feel good about it watching from the outside don't you just want to be around people who make this happen when you are around them wouldn't you like to be one of these people and this is why regardless of whether or not you believe that jesus is the son of god you should listen to the words of jesus Jesus was constantly inviting people who did not believe that He was the Son of God to follow Him anyway. This is why Peter, he came to the realization, and and he says this in John chapter 6. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And then he gets to the one, the one that we just say, wait, what? Mercy? Mercy? I get that one, all right? Pure in heart, well, that sounds right. I don't know if I'm going to pursue being pure in heart, but at least it kind of makes sense. I know I can think back in my own life, and man, yeah, I should have seen it coming, uh, but, but I didn't. But this next one, this is where we kind of all collectively put both feet on the brake. I just can't go there, Jesus. What, what are you even saying? But hold on for just a second, okay? This might be the most brilliant one of all. And Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you go, Come on, you don't even know what words mean. The word persecuted and the word happiness, they don't go together. They seem to be mutually exclusive. Losing my job for doing the right thing, that doesn't sound like happiness. It doesn't smell like blessing. Okay, but but here's what Jesus was getting at. Here's what the New Testament is getting at. Here is what we will all discover eventually in life. You are going to suffer in this life for doing right or for doing wrong. In this life, you will have suffering. In this life, in, in your life, you are going to suffer for doing the right thing or for doing the wrong thing. But you can be happy on only one side of that equation. You can't be happy on the other. You can be happy when you are persecuted for doing the right thing because at the end of the day, you have peace with you and you have peace with God. But when you suffer for doing the wrong thing, you don't have peace with you and you don't have peace with God. And Jesus draws us into this broader context. In this life, you will be persecuted. It's going to happen. Do you want to be persecuted for doing the right thing, or do you want to be mistreated for doing the wrong thing? Blessed are those. Happy are those, when it comes down to it, who decide to pursue righteousness even when it costs them, because they can be happy doing the right thing and facing the consequences, but they cannot be happy doing the wrong thing and then facing the consequences, so when you're, when you're persecuted, when you're mistreated as a consequence for doing the right thing, you can maintain your peace with God. You can maintain your peace with you. So how is it that we just, we just didn't see that? You've read this perhaps a thousand times before. You've heard it, but you never considered it like that. We get so put off by the term persecuted that our brains just stop thinking, break and avoid, turn the wheel. But Jesus reveals that this is how you live a blessed life. This is what it means to be happy. These these are the activities. This this is the mindset. This is is how you achieve happiness. This is what the pathway looks like. Now, do you remember the big question I told you at the beginning? Obviously, there's a lot more we could say about all those things, but we're looking now for the common denominator. When Jesus finished this part of the message, um, he he moves on to some other stuff, um, but There's all that detail, all those applications, all those words, the takeaways. There's still something there. There's the big aha kind of moment. The thing that could be perhaps life-changing as you struggle in this season of your life is that through all these words, Jesus brings us to this unavoidable conclusion. Happiness is an outcome. Happiness is a result. Happiness is about something now that leads to something Later. Happiness is more about ultimate than it is about immediate. Happiness is not immediately accessible. That means you can't hear a song, you can't read a book, you can't hear a sermon that just makes a magic shift. I came in here this morning at 10 a.m. and I was unhappy, but now when I leave at eleven thirty a.m. I'm going to be happy. I did it. I heard that thing. I, I, I prayed that prayer. I read that thing. I watched that video. I went to that conference. I visited that counselor. I took notes. Jesus lets us know that happiness is better than that. It's richer than that. And it's deeper than that because happiness is an outcome. Happiness is more farmer than programmer. You sow and you reap your way to happy. Just as some of you, if you were honest, you would say, I have sown and reaped my way into unhappiness. The place that you are, the place that you wish you could avoid, the place that you wish you had never arrived, you sowed your way there. And Jesus has some great news. You can sow your way out. You can sow your way to a blessed life. You can decide now to embrace meekness. You can decide now to be relationally generous and become a merciful person. You can decide now that I'm not going to be a divider. I am going to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. You can decide by God's grace from now on, even if it costs me, I want to be a person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. I want to commit to doing the right thing. I'm going to become a reconciler, not a divider. And by God's grace, even if it means I have to get new roommates, and even if it means I have to move, and even if it means I have to cancel some subscriptions, and even if it means I need to go on a social media fast, and even if it means I'm going to have to leave my phone at work, I am going to pursue purity because I want to see God. Happiness is an outcome. It's a result. You sow and you reap Your way there, and this is why at the end of this incredible mountainside sermon, Jesus gives a little parable, and you've probably heard this one before as well. Jesus' conclusion to the sermon is this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, that doesn't mean that that you took good notes. It it does, does not even mean that you told your mother or your neighbor and said, you should really hear this message. It doesn't mean uh, telling somebody, wow, that was really convicting. Jesus said, if you have heard what he said, and it's not just agreeing with that. He said, but puts it into practice. That person is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And building your house on a rock takes time. When a house is built by a builder, it takes time. It's not immediately accessible. It takes a while. And Jesus says, the person who hears what I just said and decides that from this day forward, from this point on, they are like a person who began a process of building a house on a foundation of solid rock. Nothing changed immediately. But something changed eventually. And then there's still the flip side. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice... You get no credit for hearing. You get no credit for listening. You get no credit for being in a church building. There is only benefit in doing it, doing it faithfully and doing it repeatedly. That's what makes the difference. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. That takes some time. There was no immediate return. There was no immediate consequence. But as you know, I'm sure you know the rest of the parable. Eventually, there was a storm. And at the end of the storm, the man who, um, whose house was built on the rock, the house was still standing. And the man who built his house on the sand had nothing but regret. Nothing to show for it. Jesus has pointed the way. But better than that, he has invited you and he has invited me to follow him. It's a question. What makes you happy? No thing. Next question. What leads to happiness? So-ing. That's what makes you happy. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for preserving this amazing teaching from Jesus. And these blessed statements, I know they're going to land in different ways for different people. Give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we have been given. Please, please, God, give us the courage to follow through with the prompting that you are providing. Thanks for speaking to us, Jesus. Amen.